in full. Um, so it'll be an interesting ride for sure. Um, so just gonna take a moment to get with my higher power. You're not good enough. No one wants to hear from you. You're gonna fail anyways. Like these are all the things that like my mind tells me, right? Um, and it hasn't always been that way. Um, it started, uh, Somewhere around my adolescence, um, I grew up in Connecticut and, uh, you know, my father was 25, I have a very interesting family dynamic. My father was 25 years older than my mother. Um, he died when I was nine years old. My mother was an active alcoholic um, and uh, she got sober. Uh, she got dry um, when my dad died um, and she became very verbally abusive uh, and emotionally abusive after he died. And um, we moved a lot when I was a child. Um, probably, I think I counted once that we had lived um, 12 places by the time I was 15 years old. Um, because my mother uh, couldn't commit to anything. Um, and, you know, for a 15 year old kid, you know, who, whose father had died, that was not really what I particularly needed. Um, I was, uh, <clears throat> I was sent to boarding school for high school, um, which was probably the most uh, stabilizing thing that I had in my adolescence. Uh, I made a lot of really good friends. I still talk with them today. Um, I actually asked one of them, he's also in recovery, to come and speak at uh, Bolden on a Friday in uh, January, but we'll see if that happens or not. Um, at any rate, um, so, you know, I lived in a dorm in high school, um, made a lot of very close friends. My mom, um, you know, I mentioned that she was dry. She was very, um, she suffocated me for lack of a, lack of a better phrase, um, she would show up at my school with kind of no warning. She did that when I was in college too. Um, and she also did that at my first, first apartment and my su subsequent apartments. Um, and that's not really a good thing when you're getting high in your living room. Um, but, uh, you know, she, uh, even though she sent me away to boarding school, uh, she was living right in the next town. Um, my dad had wanted me to go to a military school, but I, uh, my mom didn't think that I could make it in military school. So she sent me to a boarding school. Um, 
as kind of a uh, compromise. So uh, I went to this boarding school and uh, I remember when I was a straight edge, my freshman and sophomore year, I, I had braces, I was a dork. Um, and I was this new kid, we, we had moved out there right before I moved, went into eighth grade. And so, you know, I was this new kid from New England out in California. And I, um, I just didn't fit in. And uh, I had a very difficult time making friends. Um, that has been a big, uh, always been a big challenge for me was uh, making and kind of keeping friends. And when I went down to the beach with somebody else in my class when I was 16 years old and they offered me a bowl, um, I, I got high with them and came back. And I remember when I came back to school and I was walking around school, um, I felt something like this rush that I had never experienced before. And it was the feeling of like getting, getting one over on everybody else. Um, it was that I was walking around campus and the dean of students didn't know that I was high and uh, my teachers didn't know and all the other, some of the other kids, a lot of the other kids didn't know. And like, I, it's like I knew something that everybody else didn't and ha ha ha. Like I felt, um, I felt better than everybody else. And like that was, an ex that was a feeling that like I didn't have before. Um, and that was, that was addictive to me. Um, I started smoking a lot of pot um, in high school and uh, I had a beer and I didn't really like beer. Uh, in high school. Um, that would change when I was in college, but, um, you know, I, I just smoked a lot of pot in high school. Uh, and after I graduated from high school, I went to college in Vermont. Um, I have family up in Vermont. So I went from California up to Vermont, which is uh, quite a culture shock. Um, and there's not really much to do in Vermont in the winter time other than drink and smoke pot. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever been up there, but um, it is uh, between zero and 10 below zero during the winter. And you pretty much just stay inside and get messed up. Um, so that sounded pretty good to me um, at the time, but I was on academic probation my freshman year. I failed introduction to psychology, which um, for those of you who know me, I'm a licensed counselor now, so that's pretty ironic. Um, you know, I, uh, I was not doing well. Um, and uh, it wasn't until kind of my junior year when I was trying to really honestly and earnestly turn things around that um, I, I even things out and kind of graduated with like a, a B minus average. 
through some act of God, I don't know how, I got into a master's program in Boston for psychology. Um, and I moved down to Boston <clears throat> with my best friend at the time. Um, and I really, really excelled at, uh, in my program. Cause like I always, I've always done well in things that I'm really interested in. And, and if something doesn't catch my interest, like I'm not going to put any effort in. Um, and I, when I moved to Boston, um, I was in my own apartment kind of living well with my friend and kind of living in a big city on my own. And, um, I finally kind of uh, felt comfortable enough to come out of the closet. Um, and so I did that. And with that came um, me going to a different gay bar uh, pretty much every night of the week. Um, that was... Uh, a big part of my twenties and early thirties. Um, Cause at least in Boston, what the, uh, what kind of gay culture looks like is going for, a, it's kind of all the same people moving from one bar to one bar to one bar each night of the week. Cause they have like different nights that uh, they take over uh, various bars. Um, and you know, when I walked into a bar, uh, I didn't feel okay with me on a number of different levels. Um, I didn't feel okay with me uh, physically. I didn't feel okay with me because I thought everyone else was more attractive. I didn't feel okay with me because I really hadn't come to terms with a lot of my own shit yet. Um, and so, you know, alcohol was the answer to that. Um, it, it kind of, it silenced all that stuff in my head. Um, and it also gave me, um, you know, that, that social lubrication that we talk about so much. Um, and I drank very, very heavily throughout my twenties. Um, I did a lot of blackout drinking. Um, I remember one morning waking up bloody in my bathtub um and about three hours late for work after a concert um one of my friends had brought me home after i had like fallen and he tried to take care of me but i wasn't letting him and he just left me in my bathtub after he tried to take care of me and i i was a mess um so I, um, I drank a lot. I drank, uh, you know, when everyone had gone home uh, to try to get some sleep for the night, I just kept drinking. Um, when everyone ordered one drink, I ordered two um, or one in a shot. Uh, you know, it was, it was never really enough. I always wanted to feel more. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to intensify how I was feeling. You know, if one makes me feel this way, surely two will make me feel even better. Um, and I was still smoking pot. Um, and I got into, 
I had gotten into a doctoral program um, and I had to stop smoking pot in my late twenties because I couldn't write my doctoral dissertation um, when I was stoned. And even when I wasn't, I quit, uh, I quit smoking pot about when I was like 28, 29 years old, 27, 28 years old. Um, and when I stopped smoking pot, my drinking, uh, got worse. Um, shortly before I graduated, um, with my doctorate, my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, and she gave me a lot of, um, she gave me, I, I had a very difficult time with that because um, I was doing a lot of work in my personal therapy, trying to figure out how to take care of me um, and how to take care of her at the same time. Particularly, you know, I had mentioned she, she's, she was kind of emotional, she, she was very emotionally abusive. It took me several years to be able to identify that even as emotional abuse. Um, but she was emotionally abusive and um, just trying to be able to protect myself and insulate myself from what she would say and what she would do. Um, and to try to be there and recognize, uh, you know, what, uh, what it kind of meant to be a good son and be there for her in, in the last, uh, in the, at the end of her life. Um, and I did the best that I could. Um, and I don't really have very many, I have a couple of regrets, um, but I, I think it could have been a lot worse. Um, she passed, I was in the hospital when she passed away. Um, it was 12 years ago last week. Um, Christmas was a very difficult time for me for a number of years. Um, because whenever uh, I would hear Christmas carols, I would associate it with the hospital that, where they were playing Christmas carols while I was watching my mother pass away. Um, and I was left a large sum of money after my mother passed away. Um, I bought myself a condo and I moved into it. And as after I moved in there, um, I came to this realization that I was, um, in terms of family, uh, like nuclear family, I was completely alone. Um, my mother and father were both gone. I didn't really have anyone else on earth who um, knew my entire history, uh, right? And so like, I couldn't ask like, hey, what happened to me when I was one or two? Like, and so my addiction took off. Um, Loneliness is a big thing for me um, and feeling uh, feeling abandoned and, and loneliness. Those two things are be are big. Um, 
and I had someone gave me some coke when I was in a club once and I thought I had found like the miracle solution to all my problems um I developed a really bad cocaine habit um when I was in my early 30s um it's a very expensive habit um and I, because it was so expensive, I, uh, I then kind of trans, uh, I moved over to meth. Um, and meth, uh, I thought meth was also a, uh, very popular in the gay community. Um, unfortunately, um, and it still is. And so it was very accessible. It was a lot more accessible than cocaine was. Uh, and so uh, that problem got, uh, got bad pretty quickly. Um, I, for a while, I was able to work and, uh, you know, have this chameleon lifestyle where like everything looked great on the outside where I was going to work every day and, um, things seemed fine, but then, uh, I would start calling into work on days that I wasn't, um, wasn't even scheduled to work. Um, I would, you know, things like that. My, my mind just started going as it does with one who does a lot of math. Um, so I checked myself into a residential treatment center. Um, my first one was in 2014. Um, and I was 34 at the time. Um, and so I should have, you know, if you probably agree with me listening to my story, done that a lot sooner. Um, but being, I was a licensed mental health professional. And the reason I didn't do that was I was afraid of being in treatment with my patients. I was afraid of being treated by my colleagues. Uh, and the shame of, you know, checking myself into treatment just like totally, um, totally kept me away. But I finally just couldn't uh, avoid it. So I checked myself in. Uh, about an hour and a half outside of the city, hopefully where no one would know me. And uh, I, I got maybe 30 or 60 days clean. Um, I, I say clean because I came into narcotic, or I came into recovery through Narcotics Anonymous originally. Um, and after I left that first treatment center and then I had to go back into another treatment center because I couldn't stay sober. Um, and I found myself uh, just before I, I used that time wanting to kill myself sober. Um, I wanted to... Uh, you know, I, 
even though I, uh, I only had 30, 60 days, I was saying to myself in my head, um, okay, I'm sober now or clean or I'm, I'm not using now. And like, I still want to kill myself. I still feel like I want to use sometimes. Like, why, why do I feel this way? And I was like, if this is what it's like, I don't want it. Um, and so like I kept, I had a lot of suicidal thoughts, um, and I checked myself into a psychiatric unit, um, which was something that I thought I would never do. And I was actually locked on the psychiatric unit with one of my patients. Um, and that was my worst fear. I didn't come out of my, uh, didn't come out of my room for three days. Um, but what, uh, what it really uh i ended up getting a lot of really good help there um and after i left there um i stayed sober for um 28 months um you know over two years um that was in 2015 that i went in there um and so as I had mentioned, you know, I had a lot of uh, you know, financial wreckage. Uh, well, I didn't mention it, but I had a lot of financial wreckage for my cocaine use. Uh, and so part of uh, what made me decide to move to Texas was uh, repaying a lot of the debt that I had made to, uh, to the government because I never filed my taxes um, and I had withdrawn on a lot of my savings. Um, without paying taxes on it. And so I moved down here in the fall of 2017 for a very high paying job. I also had a, this idea in my head that I was going to um, get a really nice uh, two bedroom house with a lawn where my dog could run around. And, um, you know, I, uh, I, I had adopted a pit bull when I was uh, a couple of years prior, and she was a huge part of a, a huge, huge part of my life. Um, and so moved down here, and then five months later, my job didn't work out. Um, and so I sat in my shit for about a month, and my life uh, had become going from the couch to the porch to smoke and back to the couch and to the porch. And like, I couldn't do it anymore. And I decided to get high. And it took me about a year and a half uh, to get my life. Three times I had to give up my dog um, because I couldn't take care of her because I was using and not coming home. Um, I went to sober living, which is really uh, a huge part of what saved me. Um, my, my, my ultimate like surrender to one thing that I never thought I would do. Um, and um, my last time in treatment, which was, uh, in November of 2018, I was having 
a real spiritual crisis. And I had, you know, they were reading the big book um, when I was in treatment. And I just, I finally found some hope. Um, and I, cause I was so spiritually broken when I went in there and um, for a very long time, uh, I kept seeing alcohol and drugs as my solution whenever something wouldn't work out, whenever something wouldn't turn out the way that I thought it would or should. And that's why like I would get three months, six months, even two years. Um, and so, you know, they read 60 to 62 um, when I was in treatment and it just like, like I, it just kind of turned my world upside down. And like, I was like, this is where I'm at. Like, this is, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to run everything still. Like I, I say that like I've sat down and worked these steps with a sponsor, but I haven't even done step one. Like I've been going for five years and I haven't even done step one. Um, and so I, I did, uh, that's what brought me into Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and I haven't used or drank since, uh, thank God. Um, what my recovery journey has been like, um, I, when I came back from treatment in 2000, uh, 18, my first AA, I went up and I asked, I was terrified and I went up and asked a guy to be my sponsor um, because I thought I liked uh, what he shared about um, and I liked what he had to say. And uh, he was very insistent that he get me through the steps as quickly as possible so that I could start to sponsor other people. And um, I, something about that didn't sit right with me, um, but I did it anyways, because I was like, this guy knows better than I do. Um, and uh, I was putting my hand up to sponsor at like four months sober, um, and that didn't really sit well with me. Um, but he was like, you need to do it. You need to be of service. And, um, you know, that didn't sit well with me. Uh, and I was starting to see, he's not in here, is he? I was starting to see that, uh, you know, what he would say in meetings wasn't matching how he lived. Um, and that was a huge problem for me. Uh, and so I got another sponsor. Um, I started going to a men's meeting on Saturday mornings. Um, and I have an amazing sponsor um, who I've been working with for the past year and a half. Um, and I 
uh, he brought me through the steps in a very unique way. Um, if anyone is curious about what that is, I can share that with you. Um, but uh, he's, uh, he's a very loving, caring man. Um, and he's always there if I need him. Um, and his feet definitely match his lips. Um, and so um, I had written uh, in the past. So when I wrote my fourth step, uh, when I wrote my fourth step with him, um, we had, uh, it was kind of not as lengthy as I was worried that it would be. Um, I tend to put a lot more things on those kinds of lists that uh, then need to be there. Um, he took my list and he just kept crossing things off. Um, and uh, so it wasn't as uh, bad as I bad as I had thought it would be. Um, we did come, I did come to a new understanding through doing that and my fifth step with him, um, some new reasons and exact natures of why I do some, th some of the things that I do. I carry around my uh, a list of my defects in my phone um, and uh, that I came up with when I worked my steps the first time with him. And I periodically look at it to hopefully uh, notice that I'm exemplifying less of those things, the, the fear and the entitlement and the sarcasm and those sorts of things. Um, there's about 18 of them on there. Um, the other big thing that I kind of wanted to mention, I know I only have a few minutes left, um, is around spirituality. You know, this is a spiritual program and we don't really talk about it in meetings. Um, because I feel like that is the number one thing that keeps me sober. Um, I get up in the morning, I meditate um, for probably a half hour to 40 minutes. Um, if you have a problem meditating, you can do what I did and start at 30 seconds. Um, it's real hard to get the gerbils that are on fire in my head to stop running around. Um, and so, um, eventually they do quiet down. Um, and whether that involve, whether your spirituality involves, um, I go on a, a silent retreat every few months, um, and I don't talk. Um, and we kind of, we do yoga and chanting. And, um, so my spirituality is kind of, uh, a little bit different um, than I think I've heard um, other people share about in meetings. Um, I The thing I love about this program is that uh, we have a certain number of people in this meeting and we have probably a certain number of uh, spiritual understandings in this meeting. Um, and so if you're having trouble with that right now um, and you don't believe in spirituality, um, believe in the people in this room and that we um that we aren't drinking and that uh this program works 
because um, I know when I first came into recovery, that's uh, what I had to believe in because I had a very, uh, a very uh, bad history with, uh, with faith. Um, and so, yeah, I pray and I meditate every morning. I pray and I meditate every um, evening before I go to bed. And I do the best that I can in between which always isn't always easy to stay in touch with uh, my spirituality, which involves doing the next right thing. Um, and so not hurting anybody, not hurting myself. Um, and that's not always easy because, uh, you know, my instinct uh, as the 12 and 12 talks about, you know, is to, um, is to do the opposite um, as an alcoholic. It's to it's to be self-centered. It's to uh, it's 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 really about self-centeredness. So um, it it takes some practice to to slow down and stop. Um, and another big thing that keeps me sober is I sponsor people. Um, I sponsor men and women. Um, I know there is a lot of um, a big push in AA to have men with men and women with women. Um, there is actually nothing in our literature about that. Um, it's it just says that there is uh, you shouldn't sponsor anybody to whom you could have a romantic uh, attraction to. Um, and as a gay man, I feel comfortable sponsoring women. So. Um, I just wanted to kind of put that out there um, because I feel like a lot of times uh, that there's kind of a misconception around that. Um, and that's what's been taught to me. Um, and so I think that's about all that I have to say. Um, I wanted to thank all of you for coming and thank John for asking me to share. And I think that's what I got tonight. Thanks, guys. Merry Christmas.